So Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 17, Paul's writing, and he says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word, that you would incline our ear to what you would say today. Open our eyes to the wonders of your truth. Unite our hearts in your presence, Lord, and satisfy our souls as only you can. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're able to minister to each one of us today as we have need. And I thank you that the word will be life to all of our flesh in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So we've been in uh, the letter to the Ephesians for a few weeks now. And what we saw last week and what I read to you just now was Paul praying uh, that God, the glorious father of Jesus Christ, would give to them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him so that they would know what is the hope of his calling, uh, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable power of God directed towards us, towards those who believe. And then we get into verses 20 through 23, which is where we'll be today. And as I was, you know, ready for this, one thing we do every Wednesday night when we have Bible studies, we start out with an icebreaker question. And usually it's something light and, and fun uh, to get everybody talking. But I felt like the question leading into this passage today was a little bit more intense. And the question that I want you to ponder as we begin this today is what do we, and you don't have to answer, don't shout it out. What do we fear the most? What is it that we fear the most? And what we'll see uh, today and what I think you'll, you'll recognize is that we fear the most what we can least control. Right? It just makes sense. If we can't control it, we're afraid of it. Why? Because if I can't control it, it could go bad for me. Two things in our life that we can least control and thus fear the most are death and evil. Death and evil, whether it be upon us or on the ones that we love. I know when you ask people, what's your greatest fear, right? It's usually that something would happen to my fill in the blank. 
right? To, to my babies, to somebody that I love. Those are the seat of our greatest fears. And we come on that even as young children, right? Luke's dealing with some of that now. I have to promise him every night that I won't get kidnapped. He's not worried about himself getting kidnapped, which would seem more likely. He's worried about me getting kidnapped. What's he worried about? That you won't be there, that I'll be all alone. He's worried about death and evil. These are two things that we fear the most because we can least control them. Last weekend, Saturday morning last week, uh, saw a lot of death and evil, right? In the attacks on the nation of Israel by the Islamic terrorist group Hamas. I mean, I'm sitting in my chair at home by the window getting ready to watch college football. And here in my lap is death and devastation. Innocent, unarmed civilians being brutalized, ravaged, massacred by this terrorist group. Which, by the way, that word is in the Bible, Hamas, and it may be, you know, difference in language, whatever the case may be. But do you know what it's used for in the Bible? Wickedness, violence, evil. Isn't that interesting? It was jarring and it was horrific because now you don't just read about stuff in the paper. You don't just get accounts of it, you know, third, fourth, fifth hand later on. You can see it right there in front of you almost in real time. And it was honestly more than I could process. And then throughout this week, you see on the campuses of American universities and the streets of cities in the United States, people rallying together to say, we support that. And I have a hard time processing that. I was like, Lord, how do we, how can we process this as believers and then Right here in our order, in the text of Ephesians, I believe we find some encouragement. Again, what do we fear the most? We fear death and we fear evil. And Paul is praying to God, which by the way, we say God and we know pretty well what we mean, right? When this is going on, these scenes that I'm seeing on the streets of Israel last weekend, there are people shouting in their language, God is most great. In other words, my God rejoices in what is happening here. And I say, we're talking about different things. Because we use that word G-O-D to stand for Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Bible, the God who sent Jesus, the Son of God, that, that's what we mean. That's not what they mean. And we need to be clear when we're defining terms. But Paul is praying to God that he would give the Ephesians 
the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Because they were not unlike us. They were surrounded by death. They were surrounded by depravity. There was evil in the world at that time. They were dealing with things that we also deal with. They were in a culture that by very nature was contrary to God. To Yahweh or the one who created what was created. Or Jehovah, the one who is. Contrary to him. And Paul's answer to this was to pray that God would help them to see by his spirit, to see clearly what is the hope of his calling, what is the glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards them who believe the mighty working of his strength. He said, I want you to see more clearly so you can know more fully and you can walk and act accordingly because you're going to need this because the world is contrary. And he pushes in on this idea of Yahweh's power starting in verse 20. He exercised this power, what the immeasurable greatness of the power that we talked about last week in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at, the, at his right hand in the heavens. Far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but in the one that is also to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him head as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. This power, the immeasurable greatness of his power, evidenced and demonstrated in Christ. What did he do? He raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavens. What are the two things that we fear the most. It's not spiders. It's not public speaking. We can have some fear of those, right? But the two things we fear most are death and evil. That's why you lock your doors at night, right? Death and evil. All of our medical marvels, all of our efforts, we can only delay death, can't we? We're learning things. Common grace God has given to mankind. We've got medicines. We've got antibiotics. We know we can eat blueberries and probably be better than if we didn't, right? But all that we can do, all the healthy things you can and should do will not prevent death. It'll only delay it. We can't defeat it. Scripture says from dust we came and from dust we will return. We can't even stop the decay that happens after death. We, can't, we, we can hold it off. We can delay it just a little bit. We can't prevent death, much less bring someone back. We cannot do it. But God, our God, the great God, Jehovah, in his mighty power has done what we couldn't do. He raised Christ from the dead. Physically, literally, some people say now, well, it was just symbolic, like his his ideas, his. Physically. Literally. Powerfully raised Christ from the dead, did not allow his holy one to see decay is the way the psalm put it. He didn't just reverse it. 
Did you notice that? When we read about Christ in the Gospels after the resurrection, it wasn't just death reversed. Lazarus was death reversed. Christ was death defeated and transcended when he came back from the dead to new life, immortal, glorious, and completely free. It was a public display of God's power when he raised Christ from the dead to a new dimension of human experience. He raised him from the dead and he seated him at his right hand in the heavens. So what are the two things we fear? One is death. He showed that he is Lord over death because he defeated it. Then what did he do? He ascended, seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavens. Now, that's a position of honor and authority. Even we know that, right? To sit at the right hand of a king was an important position, an honor and a position of authority. Authority over what? When he's given this position, what is it a position in authority over? Well, he tells us far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion and every title given every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one that is to come. Another Psalm, he said, The Lord has said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. It says he subjected everything under his feet, every ruler, every authority, every power and dominion, every name, every title in this age and in the one to come. And if we look at... Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, it will tell us that this was not talking about just humans. It wasn't talking about just people like us. In Ephesians 6 and 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, or we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. He's telling us this is why we put on the whole armor of God. We don't wrestle. We'll get to this, but I can go ahead and mention it now. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but we do wrestle. Where our struggle isn't with flesh and blood, but we do Struggle, don't we? With these things. When he names that, it's orders of spiritual powers in the unseen realm. Supernatural beings that have not yet conceded Christ's victory. We are not the only created beings. 
And the fall of mankind in the garden is not the only reason for evil in the earth. It is a reason for evil in the earth. It's not the only reason for evil in the earth. There was a cosmic rebellion prior to ours. We know the story, right? God created the heavens and the earth, and he's going to put it under the dominion of one of his created beings. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you it didn't go over too well with some of them when he was going to put it under the dominion of the dirt people that he made just out of the dirt from the creation that he had made. This is who he's going to put in charge of the earth to tend it and to have dominion. These humans that saw Mesa, he made them a little lower than what does it say? The angels, yeah. He made them a little lower than the angels. The word there, a little lower than the angels, is also the word Elohim. A little lower than well, we, the, the word that we can use for little g, God. The other created beings. These other supernatural beings in the unseen realm. There was an offense taken. You gonna put this, this? Imagine you work for the Creator. We'll use work as the term, and you see him making this amazing creation. <laughs> Look at this. Wonder who he's gonna put in charge of this? Probably me, right? Because we know that the first sin was what pride. Probably me. Mm -mm. Them didn't like that at all. Didn't like that at all. And their fall was first. We just followed in the likeness of it. The way of the serpent. The way of the dragon from Revelation. And not the way of the Lord. Not the way of the lamb. The world, instead of being under the dominion of men and women in a righteous relationship with God Almighty. Instead of that, it was subjected, according to Romans 8, to futility. What does that mean? It's not working like it was supposed to be working. It doesn't flow like it was supposed to flow. Life is not how life was supposed to be here on God's good creation. And according to the book of Romans, creation itself wants to be set free from that bondage to and of decay. Even creation wants to be set free from the bondage it was put under in that fall. Why? Because now it's subjected to death and to evil. Evil being, it's a broad word, right? Righteousness is when things are as they ought to be. Evil is the opposite of that. When things are not as they ought to be. And we feel it in the very core of who we are. Creation subject to the lordship of lesser beings. When we get to Ephesians 2, it's going to talk about the prince of the power of the air. The spirit who is now at work in the disobedient. 
subjected to the rulership of lesser rebellious beings. I think the goal was to defile his creation in order to shame him. I think that was the goal. But he sent his son, the unique one, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Not in sinful flesh, but in the likeness of sinful flesh, again, according to Romans, so that he could condemn sin in the flesh. He sent him so that we could be freed from the life in the flesh, that life of evil, things not being as they ought to be, to walk once again in the spirit and in righteousness. Right? Colossians tells us that we've been translated from the kingdom of what? Darkness. Into the kingdom of his dear son. Into the kingdom of light. You don't have a kingdom without somebody being in charge. We were under the one that rules the kingdom of darkness. As was creation. Remember in Matthew 4, after Jesus was baptized, he went into the wilderness to be tempted. By who? The devil. The adversary. And he tempted him. He said, you know, you're hungry. You've been out here fasting. Turn these stones into bread. You're the son of God. Turn these stones into bread. And he answered with the words that men shall not live by bread alone. And so he took him up to the pinnacle of the temple and says, it says that he will send his angels to have charge over you. And they'll, that they'll bear you up in their hands so you could throw yourself down from here and you wouldn't suffer any loss. And he says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And then what was the third one? He showed him all the what? The kingdoms of the world. And he said, I'll give you all of these if you'll do what? If you'll bow down and worship me. So he's saying, I rule these. I will let you rule with me if you will bow down and worship me. What did Jesus say? Go away. Why? Worship God alone and him alone should you serve. Which was a little bit of a condemnation. Who was he supposed to be worshiping? God alone. Who was he supposed to be serving? God alone. It reminded me of the parable that Jesus told in Matthew 21. Of the rich man who planted a vineyard. He said he put up a fence. He did all of this, he, this awesome vineyard. And then he left it. He leased it out to others. And they got prideful and they said, he's never coming back. We can do what we want to here. This is our vineyard now. And it said the owner sent his servants to come and get his portion of the harvest. It's being leased him. He's supposed to receive from this. And what did they do? It said they beat one, stoned another and killed a third. And they did that twice. And then he said, I will send my own son. And what did they do in the parable when he had sent his son? They said, if we kill him, then we sure have everything. 
Everything will surely be ours. And they killed the owner's son, the master of the vineyard. They killed his son. But nevertheless, they still had to deal with the master of the vineyard. And Jesus said he came and held them all to account. It reminds me of this because they, they, they basically said, we own this now. This is ours. And he sent his son. And what did they do to his son? They killed him. Thinking, because scripture said, if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Had they known what it would bring about, they would not have done what it was that they did. Why? Because they must reckon with the owner and the creator. They didn't know what it would bring about. What it is it that we're most afraid of? Death and evil. These three verses here. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion and every title given not only in this age, but in the also the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him, Christ, as head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. He defeated death and he seated him in the heavens far above what? All of those rivals, all of those that thought that they could take for their own and call it theirs, putting them in their rightful place. All others. Every name that is named. The same authority over death and over evil is also the authority over the church. It said he is the head. We are his body. This is the reassembling, the renewing through the redemption of mankind And through that, the whole creation. The forgiveness of our trespasses, we read about that in chapter 1. The redemption by His blood. Verse 23 tells us that the body, His body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. The church is the fullness of Christ in the earth, not because the church fills up Christ, but because Christ fills up the church. Because it is his body. This one who overcame death, this one who stands in authority over all, all, everything, including those that would try to do evil. He's redeemed us. He's reclaiming and renewing creation in his fullness. What do we fear most? Death and evil. Christ conquered both. And we are now, remember chapter one, in Christ. 
We have the victory because He is the victor. Fear death. Why? To live is Christ. To die is gain. Fear evil. There is not an enemy that He will not put under foot. Every single one will be His footstool. Defeated by Him and guess what? Carried out by us. Really? It says in the book of Romans, the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. And because it's something special about your feet, it's because the body of Christ has feet. Paul prayed that they would see. He prayed that they would see and we need to see as well. The mighty power, never think him weak, the mighty power evidenced in Christ, raised from the dead, seated at the right hand of the Father. We focused big on the resurrection and it was amazing, but it doesn't do a lot for us without that ascension. It doesn't do a lot for us without him at the right hand of the Father where he lives to make intercession for us. He is the one who is able to save to the uttermost all who come to God through him. He prayed that they would see and we need to see it too. That evil is being put under Christ's feet, will be finally completely put underneath Christ's feet and through that also underneath your feet as the body of Christ. Without Him, we feel just like we feel when we see death and evil now, powerless to do anything about it. Powerless to do anything about it. In Him, we are overcomers. They overcome, how? By the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, And they love not their lives, even unto death. Why? Because they can see clearly. They can see and they can know. So how, how do we process it? When we run into things like this. When people close to us die. We've had several unexpected deaths in our community lately, right? And those hit. They hit hard. And they hurt. And then we see evil still at work in the world. And it grieves our heart because we're becoming more aligned with him, aren't we? And we know I see this and I don't want to then become evil. What do I want? I want evil to be done away with. I want death to be done away with. And, and I think about how he said in the scripture, you've desired a good thing. You've desired a good thing because you've already begun to see by faith that they will both be done away with. That in what will seem like just a little while, they will both be no more. 
The question for us first is what is our, since we see them, we don't know how to process it. What is our answer for them? And it can be nothing other than Christ and him crucified, right? Christ raised from the dead. Christ seated at the right hand of God Almighty. And I am by his grace and through faith alone in that grace, I'm a part of his victory over the world. Our faith. That's where I try to set my mind. Where do I set my hands? Where do I set my feet? Being a part of his body, I do what I can do. Sowing to the spirit, not sowing to the flesh. If you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You will instead, what? Bear the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit, born by the people of God in the world today, is the biggest tool for evangelism and change that you will ever see. Because he says in Galatians that we will reap a harvest if we don't lose what? Heart. Don't lose heart. That's why Paul is praying that you will see. He said, because if you can see it clearly, you won't lose heart. There's things we're going to need to do, right? There's people we need to reach. There's ground that needs to be taken and never forget we serve the one who is victorious over all of it you don't have to fear these principalities powers rulers of darkness of this age you need to understand that they're there you need to know they've been there for a while and they do not care anything about you by yourself you'll be like the seven sons of Sceva Jesus, I know, and Paul, I've heard of, but I'm about to whoop you. But he has been given a name. And at that name, every knee must bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And so we can walk in peace even when the world is not at peace. And we can sow peace even in areas where it is not peaceful at all. And we can walk into dark places with bright lights and we can do it without fear because we serve the God who is in authority over death and hell and the grave. So as you're seeing these things in life, it's going to grieve your heart and it should. It's terrible and awful. And never forget there's a reason he has to come back. That groaning that you feel is the same groaning of creation subjected to this futility. But no, he's not slack regarding his promises. He's not slack regarding his promises. He is gracious. So that the fullness of the body of Christ, more are coming in, more numbers are being added, more people translated from darkness and into light. And that's why he still has you here. And that's why he still has me here. Is so that we can be a part of that. Sowing to the spirit. Not sowing to the flesh. Walking in the spirit. Not walking according to the flesh or the ways of this world. Amen.
We'll read this. I'm read our actually our text for next week, but I want to close with it today. In chapter two. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. And he also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you're saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have redeemed us from the curse of sin and death. That you raised Christ and our faith in him, according to what we just read, said you also raised us. And you set him in a position of authority at your right hand in the heavenly places. And it says right here that you set us there as well. Us, those who believe, those who put our faith in Christ for righteousness, who hadn't said we're going to stand on our own wit, wisdom and righteousness. Christ alone is my hope in life and in death. It's Christ alone. And Father, I thank you that you changed the way that we walk because we've been saved by grace. We used to walk according to the ways of the world, but not any longer because you've given us a better path for our feet. And I thank you that we see that by your spirit. If you are far from him today, hear those words that I just read in chapter two, that we were dead and unable to do anything to help ourselves, save ourselves, bring life to ourselves. We were dead in our sins and our trespasses. We were just like those who do evil in the world, who we hate so much. But God, who is rich in mercy, who is rich in mercy. Thessalonians says he chose not to pour out his anger on us, but through Christ save us. So that whether we are alive or dead when he returns, we can live with him forever. All that's required is repentance and faith in Christ. To repent of our sin and put our faith in him. He is our hope for righteousness. And then every day after that is another step closer to him. Walking in him, learning his will, learning his ways, because that faith that saved us now produces the desire to obey his will and his ways and to walk in his kingdom. Father, we thank you that you you are our answer. The others don't have one. And that's why they rage is because they don't have 
an answer. You are our answer to the problem of death. You are our answer to the problem of evil. And we thank you that we are a part of the body in Christ. And I thank you for the reminder that it's not by our works, not by anything good that we did, which means that it's open to anyone who would come. And we thank you first that it was open to us. And Lord, help us to see others as souls and not just situations. As people in need of redemption or people who are products of redemption. We thank you today that you'll help us to see more clearly. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. In those quiet moments alone, I thank you that you're speaking and that we'll hear you. Spirit, that we will hear what you would say to your church and to your people. Father, as we get ready to go, thank you that we leave in peace and unity together with each other. Protect us, keep us safe. I thank you, Lord, that you bless the body as we go out into this week. I thank you that we will walk every day with you in mind. And I thank you that we'll begin to see more clearly as we look to you with eyes of faith. We thank you for all these things and your many blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.